0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we just want to ask once again that you would work in our midst, that you would encourage us from your word. Lord, there's a blessing promised to those who study the passages that we are studying today. And Lord, we're certainly in need of that blessing. And we ask you to work in our hearts and lives. We ask you to work. In, at Morris Park and also at the Union Baptist Church, that you may be honored and glorified in all the services this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be dismissed to the Toddlers and Children's Church. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn once again to the book of Revelation. Uh, as we're going through a series on Sunday mornings, The letters of Jesus to his churches and just uh, by way of explanation, we do not believe that these are seven church ages or seven mystical representations of churches, but seven literal living uh, churches that were in existence when this book was written with real people and real problems. And so let's just start reading here, Revelation chapter two and verse eight. And unto the church, angel. I'm sorry, verse eight, chapter two of the book of Revelation. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation. And poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is the shortest of the seven letters to the seven churches. And one of only two, five of the churches, Jesus would say to them, I have somewhat against thee, or he uh, told the last church, the church church, laodicea he said you you make me ill, you make me sick and yet to the church here at Smyrna and in the ensuing weeks, the church at Philadelphia, there was no condemnation for this church, and yet we come here as we look through this, we're going to find out that they were a poverty-stricken church. They were a poor church, but Jesus qualifies that. And he says, but thou art rich. And so, if you like a title for the message, this is the poor-rich church. In a little while, we're going to get to the rich-poor church, and that's not a good place to be. Uh, This church did not have things that they needed, things that they should have. But what we're going to do is just start right here at the beginning as Jesus introduces himself to this church. Again, it's addressed to the pastor, the, the star of the angel of the church. I mean, the star at the angel of the church there. Uh, these are the stars that are held in the hand of him that walks in the midst of the candlesticks. The midst of the, the candlesticks are the church. And Jesus introduces himself as the first and the last, and then secondly, which was dead and is alive. And we're going to try to move through this because we have another passage that I want us to examine this morning. One, uh, I I like to call it a working commentary. I think that uh, this letter will... Uh, lend some light to see what is in the passage here that we're going to move to in a few moments, but and certainly I pray that the passage we're going to move to will shed some more light on what was going on here at the church at Smyrna. But uh, oftentimes when we're having a a discussion or a debate, someone will try to invoke uh, uh, a uh, summary and say well that's the end of it that's the end of the discussion many times this happens with parents with children uh uh, once sometimes a child will go well but why and you tell them why and they'll go but why and why well that's the end of the conversation and what jesus is saying here is i'm not the only the end of the conversation i'm the beginning i'm the first and the last. Now, if you are the first and the last, that means you have a great deal to do with everything in between also. Amen? Uh, and, and Jesus is telling this church don't worry about it. That This church had a lot of things going against it. And we're going to look at those in a minute. And, you know, oftentimes. People will say, "Well, the worst thing that can ever happen to you is die." Now, that's not true. There's a lot thing. There's there are many things much worse than death. One is to be a quitter and to live in defeat. Uh, I think of of people who have just simply given up on life. And uh, They have people come in and bring their medicine to them and people come in and bring their food to them and people take care of them and and they just stopped living. And really, physically, as, as we would talk about the mechanics of the human body, there's absolutely nothing wrong. But up here in the mind and in the emotional part of that person, they've absolutely stopped living and there's nothing you can do. Our our psychiatric hospitals are literally bursting at the seams. And Jesus is saying, listen, the greatest punishment that can happen to you, the greatest problem you're going to face is death. I've been there. And I've been back. No one else can say that. And so as Jesus is addressing this church, he's wanting them to understand something. Even though things are not going the way that we would like them to go or the way even we would want them to go uh, and think that they should, Jesus is saying, I am in charge, I have conquered death, I am alive. And we come down to verse 9 and he tells us about the church. He says, I know thy works. He says, I know what's going on in Smyrna, just like I knew what was going on in Ephesus. The things that were going on in Ephesus were, were happening, but the church at Ephesus, what had happened? They had left their first love. They had forgotten that they were simply sinners saved by grace. They had forgotten that we love Him because He first loved us. This church... All he says is, I know thy works. Jesus does not condemn them for their works. He says, You're doing what's right. He did not con, he told the Ephesian church that they were going to have to go back and do the first works, but the church at Smyrna was still there. And then he said, Tribulation. He says, I know thy works, and if we just follow the, the emphasis here, he says, I know thy works, I know thy tribulation, I know thy poverty, I know the blasphemy of them. These, these are not positive things here. Tribulation. Now, I have not had a chance to pick up the news, but I, I was uh, running some errands Friday morning and and I, I picked up the uh, news media. The hurricane had yet to hit. Uh, and uh, the, the headline was, Trump already failed at his first uh, natural catastrophe. And I thought that was rather hilarious. Uh, since nothing had happened, and then later uh, I was just looking through some headlines. I think it was last night, and it said, the first fatality, you could almost read, Ah, something bad happened. And I'm sitting here going, these people are so crazy in what is reported as news today. It It is just insanity. Good is evil, and evil is good. And every generation believes... That their generation has reached the apex of human depravity. and I'd like to tell you, same thing was going on here, Churchmen. They're, they're trying to turn the truth into a lie, and they're trying to turn the lie into a truth. Uh, they've always done that. In fact, Jesus said, if you're not suffering some tribulation, if there's not some opposition from the world in what you're trying to do to serve Jesus Christ, maybe you're not serving Jesus the Bible way. And and Jesus says, listen, I know what you're going through. But he's the first and the last. He's which was dead and is alive forevermore. This next one, he says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty. I think it was Brother Clayton told the story. His dad came home. This would have been back in the 30s when uh, FDR had recently become president. He said, dear, we're, we're in great, great trouble He said, the president has declared a war on poverty, and if they take that away from us, we won't have anything left. And and, uh, the simple truth of the matter is, poverty simply means you cannot obtain that which is necessary. Now, uh, here in the United States, we have something called the poverty level. It's an amazing thing. Most people who live below the poverty level here in the United States have cable TV. Cell phones and own their own car. That's not poverty, my friend. Poverty is when you cannot buy clothes to wear. That doesn't mean... Uh, a new suit every year or or most of us have clothes more clothes than we wear. Poverty means that you don't have clothes to wear. Poverty means you don't have food to eat. and of course, the chief cause of poverty in this world is man's cruelty to his fellow man. The reason people are starving in Somalia and Ethiopia is not because there's not food to feed them. It is because the warlords in Somalia and the government and people like this do not want... They use these as tools to subjugate people. And, And this church, Jesus says, Listen, I know thy poverty. He says... I know that you do not have the things that would be necessary for what we would call a normal life. But then he says, but thou art rich. Now, how can you be poor and rich at the same time? Well, it's pretty simple. We're talking about two different levels of existence. We're talking about poor in the things of this world, the things that you can hold on to. That's where the poverty was. But he said, You're rich. And the absolute emphasis is here is not talking on physical things that you can put your hands on. It's talking about a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have experienced the blessing of answered prayer in your life? Would you care to put a price tag on that? To know that the Creator God of the universe listened to my prayer and took time to answer it. That sounds pretty wealthy to me. Amen? These are the things that Jesus was saying that the church at Smyrna had. And this is one of the reasons why this church is not condemned. You see, sometimes people, as has been alluded, are in an impoverished situation because of cruelty of their fellow man. sometimes in America, the greatest cause of poverty is poor decision-making process on behalf of the person themselves. But Jesus is not condemning this church for being in an impoverished position. It wasn't a matter that they could go out and work and and earn these things and haven't. it's, It's a matter that they were doing all that they could and still were in this situation. We'll find out as well. And then the next one, it says... I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, that's an amazing statement there. And again, we see that word capital J-E-W-S. That's not talking about all the Jewish people. It's talking about their religious, political leaders. And we come down to... uh, about 100 A.D. here, when the book of Revelation was being written, we we now have the Bible in the process almost completely codified or put into a book, a, a single book, and of course many of the Jewish people, the, the Old Testament being a Jewish Bible, all of the writers of our Bible were Jewish men. And, and so they would take a particular arrogance saying, I know more about this Bible. I've met some Greek people. One... I mean, oh, I'm Greek. I know everything in the New Testament. It was written in Greek. And if I'm in a belligerent mood, I'll look at them and I'll say, if I handed you a Greek New Testament, you couldn't read it. Because the Greek our New Testament and is not modern Greek. In fact, the difference between the Greek that our New Testament is in and modern Greek is probably the equivalent of Spanish and English. Now, if you, if you know how to speak Spanish, that's one thing. But if you didn't know the Spanish language and I handed you a Spanish Bible, how many of you would be able to read it? I could, I mean, I could get esta and I'd recognize a few words there, but the, the simple truth of the matter is, That's what was going on here. People were claiming a special knowledge. Many of the times uh, there, uh, as we go through the letters, we'll have these people that the Bible calls the Judaizers. It doesn't use that term, but they were bringing in Jewish tradition and trying to make that the church should become Jewish in order to become Christian. And... uh, uh, that's what the dispute was in the book of Galatians, Acts chapter 15. Uh, it said you've got to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And that didn't work in the Old Testament. Not going to work in the New Testament. But these people were setting themselves up. And here's what it says it says that they weren't just criticizing or slandering them, they were blaspheming the church. Now that word blasphemy is the strongest word in our language for bringing uh, uh, a ill report, for disdaining verbally, for cursing a, a person. It is the strongest language. Blasphemy doesn't have to use profanity to get there, but blasphemy is, it's something that comes not only from the voice, it comes from the heart. Uh, We have a great battle going on in our society today for who has the right to determine what is right and what is wrong. And, And the... Uh, uh, just to touch on uh, our president said there's violence on both sides and he's been so strongly criticized for being right no one in their right mind no one in their right mind endorses Nazism, Adolf Hitler Ku Klux Klan or any of that evil No one in their right mind. We just have a lot of people in our world that aren't in their right mind. But let me ask you, are they any less insane than the people screaming and hollering and attacking police officers and doing all... Is there any less insanity on either side of this debate? Uh, Let me tell you, there's not. You see, blasphemy is an attack that comes from your soul against someone else's. That's why Jesus said blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. It's attributing the works and the goodness of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Read Mark chapter 3, the other passages in the Bible. And I would just simply challenge you, if you can look at what the Holy Spirit actually does in someone's life and attribute that to Satan, you have no interest in being saved. You've lost that a long time before you got there. Are we together on that? Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people running around talking about the unpardonable sin and... and. Uh, It just seems every so often I get a phone call from someone who says, I think I committed the unpardonable sin. And I want to just simply say, if you're calling me and you're the least concerned about Christ, you haven't done it yet. So stop worrying about it. Show up in church. And the problem is they don't show up and they don't want the things of the truth anyway. Um, But these people were blaspheming this church. They were condemning them in the, the, the most visceral and, and violent and, and ways that they possibly could. When someone attacks you like that, there there's just part of us inside that thinks that maybe we've done something wrong. You know what Jesus was telling this church? He said, you haven't done anything wrong. In fact, you've done everything right. You've elicited... The response that ought to be coming from the synagogue of Satan, but they're not going to call themselves that. I mean, I think, I would think in New York City, if you put a sign up that said the synagogue of Satan, you'd have some people walking by saying, I want to go in there. I mean, that's just part of the world in which we live, is it not? But do you think we'd have anyone in their right mind that wanted to be a part of that thing? Absolutely not. It's, it would be novelty, it would be curiosity, but no one seeking the truth about God would show up in such a place. So the devil doesn't put that sign up there. He puts up other signs. The Church of Jesus Christ, Latter day Saints. He puts up other signs of all of these cults and isms and schisms that are out there. I like this new one, the contemplative worship. You see a sign there on 31st... That's where you sit there and you contemplate. What what does the Bible tell us about that? The Bible says a fool seeketh to know his own heart. But what does a wise man do? He wants to know Jesus, amen? There's a difference there. And that's where the world goes and. And I will tell you that we need to understand that these, this synagogue of Satan has not gone away. And those that are criticizing and blaspheming and talking about people who believe the Bible as being evil, they're still out there. But you need to remember something. Jesus was reminded of the church. He said, I'm the first. I'm the last. I was dead. I'm alive. I know. They're saying these things, but you need to know that they're from the synagogue of Satan. Would you expect the devil to say anything good about a real church that's turning people away from the devil? Hello? Uh, you wouldn't. And so he's telling them, stop being concerned about these things. Look at verse 10. He said, fear none of those things which thou shalt, what's that next word there? Suffer. You see, this church was a working church, a church that was in tribulation, a church that was in poverty, a church that was blasphemed, and it was a suffering church. How many of you want to be a member of the church at Smyrna? I don't see any hands going up. You say, "Wait, wait a minute! That, that, that's that's not that's not on my list." Well, let me tell you that Jesus picked these churches to write letters to because they're going to give us something to go by and something to understand what can happen to any church that's serving Christ. Do you know that? The history, they tell us the history of the true church is written with the blood of the martyrs. And that's certainly a true statement. Don't expect to worship the Lord Jesus and not as a church and not have some suffering, not have some blaspheming, not have some of these things that are going on here. He says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Oh my, the commentators, oh, they love that phrase. Ten, ten days. What does that mean? And someone went through and said, well, there were ten major persecutions against the church uh, by the Roman Empire, and it lists the different emperors and the dates that they reigned. And, and uh, I even read that they were talking about the the uh, ten years uh, the, uh, of uh, the last emperor, and then it listed a time period that was 40 years long. And, and I'm just sitting there, I hope it's a misprint of some kind, but people say the silliest things. Ten days. What does that mean? It, well, we, we understand it's not talking about ten literal days because this is persecution in the church. It was an ongoing thing. But we do understand this. It's not going to be over tomorrow. Ten days isn't over tomorrow. But it's not going to be long. That's what Jesus was simply saying here to his church. He says, listen, you're going to endure persecution. They're going to throw some of you in prison. I think of the Baptist preacher in England, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and many of those other stories there, and how that he spent over 12 years in prison, and his only crime was preaching without a license from the crown of England. Finally, the crown relented, and he was set free, and he preached all he wanted. He had won his battle. You see, here's the point that Jesus is making. And ye shall have tribulation ten days, be thou faithful, what's those next two words there? Unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, as we finish this final charge here, he says, be faithful unto death. Does that mean that the church at Smyrna was going to be killed for their faith? No, that's not the implication at all there. He's going to be talking about the next church where there was one killed for the faith of Christ. It's talking about as long as he that was dead and is alive gives you life, you simply be faithful. When do you stop being faithful to God? When you're dead. If you wake up and you can breathe, and you put your finger there and you feel a heartbeat, it's a day to be faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen? If you don't feel a heartbeat... You're not feeling in the right place. All right? Don't get worried. Uh, The fact that you're looking for it means you're alive. And uh, so, uh, let's... uh, Is it okay to have a little fun on Sunday morning? Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? But being a church of Jesus Christ is heavy stuff. And we will find ourselves as Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Just as we need to guard very carefully that we do not lose our first love. There there have been times in our past where our church has been blasphemed. I remember we had one gentleman that made it his special... Uh, goal to go all around Astoria, and he would tell people that the reason I don't, I'm not a Catholic priest is I don't want to give up my wife and at that time nine kids. And I'm sitting there going, What a cuckoo! I finally got a hold of the uh, priest that was instigating his blasphemy of our church, and I said, uh, I'd like you to tone, tone Eddie down a little bit. And uh, he said, he can say whatever he wants. It's a free country. I said, yeah, and I can come and set up my street preaching stuff right in front of your church. It's a free country, isn't it? And he said, you'd do that? I said, of course I would. I said, you're the guy that's putting this in his mouth. He used to attend our church. That's not coming from Eddie. It's coming from you. Now, cut it out. And he did. You see, it's going to happen. But we've got to understand something. The beginning of the conversation and the end of the conversation belong to Jesus Christ. And we'll keep serving Him. Amen? We're going to find out. And fortunately, we've had very little trouble in the United States with tribulation and persecution. And I like to remind people, every once in a while, I meet someone says, "We We just need a new government. And I'm sitting here going... Yeah, who are you going to trust with that job? Listen, we have, last count I heard, and I heard this count many years ago, so I'm sure it's more now, two and a half million laws on the federal law books or the federal code of the United States government. And not a one of them demands disobedience to this book called the Bible oh they permit it yes but there is no law in this in this nation that demands that you go out and get an abortion they have yet to make a law that would demand that our church accept people who are living sinfully and against the Bible as members of our church they've yet to make a law now if they do guess what You better start praying that God will give you grace to be like the Smyrna Church. I know thy works. Amen? But until that time, let's just be faithful. And even if that time comes, what are we going to do? By God's grace, we're going to be faithful. Amen? Now, I want you to turn with me. It says, I'm sorry, it says, I will give thee a crown of life. And by the way, we are faithful, we persevere, we do not lose our salvation because of Jesus, not because of us. If you want to be faithful unto death, get saved. And then live your salvation. And God will keep you faithful unto death. Amen. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, uh, let me just start reading in verse 7. And of course, this was a letter written by Paul. Uh, Revelation was written by John. This letter was written probably around 5560 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood. Revelation was written about 100 A.D. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing... In the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Verse 12 So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Verse 16 For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 18 while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Can any of you see any connection between these two passages? The church at Smyrna had a lot of problems, did it not? Could, could we say, would it be a stretch at all to say that the church at Smyrna was troubled on every side? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of agreement there. And I could ask yourself, ask you today, how many of you have ever felt troubled on every side? Like it's just coming from this direction and that direction and up through the floorboards and down through the ceiling and every which way. But here's what it says, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. How many of you have ever said, I just don't know what to do? Well, that's being perplexed. What's being in despair? I'm going to go shoot myself. And many people choose that option. Hey, it's okay not to know, but it's not okay to take into your hands what belongs in God's. Amen. You don't usually have a choice about trouble on every side. But you do have a choice of being distressed. You see, the answer is Jesus is the first and the last. He is we, he is was dead, and now he is alive, and and we do not need to hit the panic button. Persecuted. But what's it say? Not forsaken. How many of you remember the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? They were persecuted, weren't they? But they were still singing praises. You see, what went on in Corinth, what went on in Smyrna, isn't going to be all that much different than what can happen right here in New York City, right here in our day. These letters were written to churches to help churches understand. Cast down, but not destroy. What does the book of Proverbs say? The just man falleth seven times and riseth again, but the wicked falleth into perdition. See, the difference between a Christian is when we sin, we confess our sin to him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does the unsaved person do? Take another volume. Get on psychiatric meds? Uh... All kinds of different things that are out there. Options. You can just turn up the music so loud that you can't hear anything. A lot of people like that one around here, it seems. Uh, The truth of the matter is, you see, the treasure that God gives us is put in an earthen vessel. That's us. So that the excellency can be of Jesus Christ. If we read this passage here, it tells us, verse 14, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You see, Jesus is interested in one thing. He's interested in His glory. Death worketh in us. You know, that is one of the primary themes to your Bible. If you'll start in Revelation and work the whole way through, uh, in Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it's the death of self so that the life that God lives in us can be seen in the world in which we live. Is that not the duty of the New Testament church? Can we say amen to that? Well, sometimes Jesus has to send some tough times to us to get us out of the way. You know, sometimes we we struggle and we say, how can we help people understand how different things are at this church compared to so many places that have the name church over the door. Well, it's not too hard. You just let the blasphemers of the synagogue of Satan speak up and they'll they'll show the difference to the world in which we live. I mean, the term Baptist is not a, a, a term that we invented to describe ourselves. In fact, in medieval Europe it was the foulest word in any language spoken in medieval Europe. They put Anna in front of it, meaning against, because we refused to accept the baptism of little babies as biblical baptism. Now not all Anabaptists were Bible believers, but that general term applied to anyone who refused to accept the baptism of the Catholic Church, the baptism of babies. It was, if, uh, if you wanted to curse at someone in medieval Europe, wherever you happened to be, that was one of the dirtiest names you could call someone. And yet, historically, that is our name because it identifies us with those very people who just believe this book called the Bible. You know what? Don't waste your time cursing the blasphemers. They're already cursed. Take your time to be faithful. When the trouble comes, and it will, you don't need to be distressed. You don't need to give up hope or be in despair. You might get knocked down, but you're getting back up again. Why? Because the Bible says, be faithful unto death. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Because Jesus is with His church and always will be with His church. You see, humanly speaking, the church at Smyrna was in a great deal of trouble. They had financial troubles. They had people cursing their reputation. They had bad reviews on Google. Uh, I mean, there there wasn't a good one there. Those people had all gotten together and typed in whatever it was in, in the most horrible fashion, trying to demean the faith and the church that was there. Some of them were in jail. Some of them were in danger of being put in jail. The Bible says that there would be tribulation in ten days. That's not a short period of time. Ladies, aren't you glad that labor never lasts ten days? That would be impossible, would it not? Uh, tribulation. But listen, ten days is not that all that awful long. I remember when I called up brother john marshall to ask if i could marry his daughter and uh, we had talked possibly about a may date or something like that and so i just kind of floated that to the man i hoped would be my future father-in-law and he said i'll have to get back to you on that and hung up the phone Uh, that was not heartening And so I talked to him uh, about, he he told her a couple days later, it's okay. I said, I'm not believing that. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. And so I got Brother Marshall back on the phone. I was traveling with Brother Clayton at the time. We were a couple thousand miles apart, I believe. And so I got him on the phone and I said, now, Julia said, you said it was okay for us to get married. And the first thing out of his mouth was, yes, but that May date's not going to work. You're going to have to wait till September. What do you think of that? I said that's fine with me I knew enough that if he said yes those extra three months there that was almost 29 years ago it had been absolutely foolish to argue about three months when we're talking for the rest of our lives now isn't it but how many of us quit when the least little trouble comes and sacrifice eternity for what we can hold in our hands. You see, this church was poor. They were poor financially, poor in their reputation and what the community thought about them. They were poor by every standard except for God's. You see, in verse 18 here of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, you can really get yourself in trouble trying to judge things by what you see. My favorite illustration is the illusionist. How many of you have seen the illusionist pull a rabbit out of his hat? They call him magicians, but they're not magicians because he's not conjuring a rabbit out of his hat. That, that's a real live rabbit. Somehow he hit it in the hat. You say, how did he do it? I don't know. I really don't care. It's a trick. How did he take that stick and make it into a scarf? I don't know. But I, I do know this. He's doing something with his hands that I can't see with my eyes. You know, the greatest illusionist is the devil. He makes evil look good. How many of you have been taken in by his temptations? How many of you thought something looked good and then found out it wasn't? But you see, if we'll look at those things which are not seen, if we'll get our eyes off of what we can touch, it says here, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let me ask you, what's the Bible definition of faith? The evidence of things, what? Not seen. Now, what's the church at Smyrna? What was the charge that Jesus gave them? Uh, Be faithful unto death. Well, how do you be faithful? By standing on the evidence of things you cannot see. Amen? Amen? You see, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. There are so many things that we cannot know, but this one thing I do know, Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's given us a book called the Bible. And the thing that he said to this church, I know what you're going through, and you just... Keep going through it. Isn't that what he said? He said, I'm in charge. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired? Well, you're welcome to that sentiment all you want, but it's not going to do you any good. Here's what you got to do you got to be faithful as long as the owner of life gives you life. You know what our church has got to do? Just got to keep being faithful. If there's anything we want to do is we want to emulate the church at Smyrna. There's not very many of them, but I've heard of a few churches called Smyrna Baptist Church. Because whoever started that church, the pastor or the people there had had an idea, they understood that this was a good church, that Jesus had no condemnation for what was going on in this church. But let me tell you, they were struggling. They had a tough road to hoe, we might say, road to hoe, we might say, a tough road to travel. But Jesus said, don't you worry about it. I'm the first and the last. I was dead. I'm now alive. Follow thou me. Oh, troubled on every side. But we're not distressed. I haven't pressed the panic button yet. Perplexed. But I'm not despair. I haven't given up hope. Persecuted. Not forsaken. Jesus is still with me. Cast down. You know what? Sometimes you just get knocked down. But you see, it's not me that's getting me up. It's Jesus that's getting me up again. Amen? And we get our eyes off that which we can see and we put them on Jesus Christ whom we cannot see. That's called faith. And we'll be faithful till he comes. And that's the message to the church at Smyrna. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, sometimes we, we do feel these things. And this church at Smyrna was not just enjoying life. Every day was was a struggle. Yet you brought them through, and Lord, we trust that you will bring us through. Lord, we ask that you would help us to focus on that which cannot be seen, that we would stand upon the evidence of that which we cannot see with our human eyes. Lord, that you would build our faith. that we may be your servants in these last days. Help us, Lord, not to be discouraged by circumstance, but to be encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing the hymn of invitation. 301, Only Trust Him. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. As we sing, would you come?